This is the Only in Miami show, sponsored by Morningside Mortgage Corporation of Bay Harbor Islands. Tonight's show is hosted by Grant Stern. Find out more about our sponsor at www.morningsidemortgage.com. That's www.morningsidemortgage.com. This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern and everything about the show at www.onlyinmiamiradio.com. News, politics, culture, and more. Check it out at onlyinmiamiradio.com. And we are live tonight. If you're in that car, kick the shoes off, relax. We've got an incredible show for you tonight. We have a very special interview with... Miami-Dade Commission candidate Eileen Higgins. Eileen is running for District 5 in a special election, and early voting just started this weekend. So if you live in Miami-Dade County District 5, which is Little Havana, Shenandoah, Brickell, and parts of Miami Beach, then this is your time to get out there and vote. Uh, Eileen Higgins is going to join us for the first half of the show. She's a fantastic candidate. Very excited to be able to bring her onto the program so you can find out a lot more about her. She is a Democrat. She was a, a one of the senior members of the Downtown Dems Democratic Club. And she's a wonderful, wonderful person running for office. And it's her first time running, but she's got what it takes. And we have a very special guest calling into the program a little bit later on from the Florida Democratic Party to discuss the state of the Florida governor's race. But this is the part of the program where I get a few minutes to speak directly with you, the listening audience, about issues that impact us citywide and sometimes beyond. And today I wanted to bring up one of those issues that is a citywide issue and that is certainly about to impact people uh, beyond Miami-Dade County because somehow this issue spilled over into the governor's race in the Democratic primary. So those who are listening may know that former Miami Beach Mayor Philip Levine came on this program in 2015 when he was running for his second term as mayor. And I asked him a question. I said, what is your opinion of the Florida Sunshine Law? And he gave a very interesting answer. Mr. Levine said, that anything that's about the public's business, the public has a right to know. Unfortunately, as has been documented in places as uh, close as the Miami Herald and as far away as the Columbia Journalism Review, uh, Mayor Levine refuses to turn over a lot of important records about his public social media accounts. Mayor Levine has been fighting to avoid handing me his Facebook block list for the last 18 months. And this week, there was a big, big court hearing. Well, this past week. At the hearing, Mayor Levine's top political aide showed up and he admitted it. He said there's a policy of censorship. It's simply not right. It's something that absolutely no citizen should have to endure because in this country, the First Amendment guarantees not only the right to free speech, but also the right to petition your government for right for redress of grievances. And I am aggrieved. I am very aggrieved. Because Florida deserves better than somebody who would simply censor his critics when his poorly, in, uh, poorly executed plans happen. Mayor Levine runs a business in Miami Beach as well. And the Miami New Times reported last week that Mayor Levine's business, Royal Media Partners, entered into a legal settlement with the state of Alaska. It's an unusual legal settlement because not a lot of people settle cases that are filed under the Deceptive and Unfair Trade Practices Act, or DUPTA. Okay. Uh, if you want to know what kind of person files a uh, settles one of those cases, Donald Trump was sued under DUPTA for Trump University, and he too settled that case. 
In Mayor Levine's situation, uh, the people in Alaska accused him of economic terrorism. Economic terrorism. They said that the mayor's salespeople would aggressively disparage any business that didn't pay them. And customers complained that the mayor's company didn't honor its guarantee. Because, you see, Mayor Levine sells promises to tourists, and he sells protection to local businesses. It's not a very nice business that he's in, not at all. And it's all based on disparaging and misleading. And if you don't like it, your guarantee is worthless. The Better Business Bureau has incidents where they wouldn't even honor a $1,200 guarantee. $1,200 for somebody that bought a fake piece of jewelry in Cancun. Well, the only reason we know about this is because Alaska is a U.S. port city, uh, pr provides port cities that are in the U.S., and that provides coverage for consumers under DUPTA, which is part of a set of laws that many states have, the Deceptive and Unfair Trade Practices Act, DUPTA. It's unconscionable that you would have somebody settling cases under DUPTA and trying to be governor of the state of Florida. But then again, we have a Republican governor right now who is a convicted corporate felon. So you know what? Phil Levine, maybe he fits in. And we'll be right back. This is the Only in Miami show. This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern and everything about the show at www.onlymiamiradio.com. News, politics, culture, and more. Check it out at onlymiamiradio.com. And we're back in studio with Eileen Higgins. Eileen is running for Miami-Dade County Commission in a special election coming up on May 22nd in District 5, District five which covers Little Havana, uh, Brickell, Miami Beach, Downtown, downtown, Shenandoah, Shenandoah, Silver Bluff, parts of the roads. And Eileen, thank and, you so and much. And Spring Garden. Let's not and forget Spring about Garden Spring Garden. <laughs> Eileen, thank you so much for joining me on and the thanks program for having tonight. Me. It has been a, 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 an amazing campaign for you because it's all happening in what, about six weeks? Yeah, six weeks from start to finish. So it's very compact. The commission uh, decided to put a special election in the end of May. And so um, we are just racing to chat with voters and make sure they know there's an election and that they know they have a different... Um, choice this time since I'm running. So Eileen, tell our audience a little bit about your political background because you've actually been very active in politics in downtown Miami for the last several years now. Well, um, for me, I'm active in the community in all kinds of ways, not just in downtown, but in the county at large. I've um, been very active in trying to mobilize and turn out voters in the in the urban urban centers, particularly downtown and Brickell. You know how it is. If you don't vote, you don't count. Um, and you can tend to be be a bit ignored. I've also um, worked on a lot of community organizations, particularly in, in gun violence intervention programs further abroad up in Liberty City and, and um, Overtown. And I think, as, as you know, I'm an active uh, teacher and coach for entrepreneurship from uh, working in the public schools with kids to teach them how to start their own business plans so they're not dependent on looking for a job. They can create their own jobs. And then I'm in the classroom every Monday night teaching about 30 small business owners and entrepreneurs how they can take their small businesses and, and turn them into medium-sized businesses. So it's been great to be part of the community. It's been great to work for justice issues and climate issues and, and um, business growth, right? You know as well as I do, our economy sometimes is stagnant. Um, we don't do the best of jobs 
recruiting giant companies to come here. So I think we just need to begin growing our own homegrown businesses. So uh, in your days on the campaign trail for county commission, for the race that is being decided on May 22nd. Are you listening, voters? May 22nd. May 22nd. There's a very important special election in in Miami-Dade County in District 5. So uh, what are the voters telling you that are their top three issues? The folks that you're speaking to in Brickell, in Shenandoah, in Miami Beach, and downtown, what are their three top concerns for you as a prospective county commissioner? So I think the thing that they're most likely to complain about Um, as we all are, is traffic and lack of transit. But when you dig a little deeper and you talk to them, the thing they're actually most worried about is um, the cost of housing. And that, of course, is connected to the fact that we tend to be a low-wage economy. So what we've got is um, folks that live in Little Havana. They, of course, are are low-wage workers. Many of them are, are working paycheck to paycheck. Um, their wages have not gone up dramatically in, in recent years, yet the cost of housing just rises day after day, week after week. But you know, I so mean, it's a complete imbalance. Low-wage earners have a particular problem, yes. but that's always been there. I mean, right now, professionals, Correct. teachers can't well, find listen, a place to Herald, live. Nurses have a trouble the, finding a place to live. The Herald announced yesterday that 91% of teachers in, Miami, in South Florida cannot afford um, a house. Ninety-one percent of housing is more expensive than a teacher's salary. It, it, it's it's shocking. Um, and, and you know what? And these are professionals, right? They, these they are, are professionals. College They're college educated. Yes, they have a career profession. They make a difference in society. What would we do without them? You yeah. know, what, who's building the next generation? Where are they going to live? Um, we've got to confront. Them. And look, let's talk and, and about you know, working professionals it, too. Look, Grant. if teachers have problems with these things then firefighters are going to have problems and policemen are going to have problems and nurses and you know all the people that we all depend on for a lot of really important jobs maybe they're not out there uh you know becoming a super lawyer or a lobbyist or you know some uh professional professional job that pays a million dollars a year but these are actually really important jobs you know and this, our, our communities collapse without them. Well, I mean, when you dial 911 because you're sick and you need to go to the hospital, you need an EMT to show up right away and take you there. Yeah. And if an EMT can't afford to live in Miami, well, eventually this is going to create even more we problems. We all know somebody that has either moved away from the neighborhood that they work in because they can't afford to live there anymore or, quite frankly, have abandoned the county for for places where wages are a little higher and the and the cost of housing is a little lower so and it's happening for for everybody low-wage workers are our, our civic employees as, as you just mentioned but also we all know just young college graduates that they come out of school they are saddled with thousands and thousands of dollars in student debt they make our wages even for professionals are lower than normal cities and then of course they can't even rent an apartment near where they work so it's um it's at a crisis point in the commission um, has waited too long to to do something about this. This is not new. We've been talking about it for you know four or five years now. Well, you know um, what? And they Miami haven't Dade taken County, decisions to fix it. Miami Dade County actually has a lot to do with housing. Yes. Um, you know, people always complain about this problem that the rent is is very high, but the county actually has the tools to solve things. They can rezone. Yes. Okay. To to give incentives to develop things besides luxury condos they can do inclusive zoning in those luxury condos they chose to vote that down in 2016 and and they made the program voluntary well i mean i guess you can see you can tell how well voluntary works in miami-dade county it it doesn't and we need to relook at that again because of course we can't stop development that's ridiculous it's it's sort of the bedrock of of our economy it provides tens of thousands of jobs and by the way construction jobs are really high paying jobs um, they go away once the building is done. But we've got to figure out how that development includes neighbors and neighborhoods in those developments, whether it's open space, parks, tree canopies, and yes, inclusive zoning with workforce housing either included in those buildings or those developers pay into the Affordable Housing Trust so that the county can 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 build that housing for us as residents. So I wanted to ask you a question about the nuts and bolts of county government. Sure. Have you ever read the county's budget? (laughs) 
Uh, yes, I can't remember exactly many how many hundreds of pages it, long it is, but um, last summer um, dedicated four Sundays, all day Sunday, to go through the county budget. There were a team of us that were looking through it because we wanted to make sure that projects we cared about were were funded. Was it was it another one of the groups that you're involved? Yes, in? of course. I mean, we had we had a couple of people: Miami Climate Alliance, New Florida Majority, um, Sierra Club. Um, so just and then people who just care. But we literally right. went through it very systematically. Um, to look for things like, um, was the Affordable Housing Trust funded properly? No, it wasn't. Um, so we were able to demand to ask that. We were, I was looking specifically for a new gun violence intervention program to be funded for Liberty City, and fortunately that was in there. We were also looking, it was called the Resiliency Budget, so we looked for all of the capital projects and, and line items that were associated with helping protect us from sea level rise, um, you know, wastewater runoff programs, additional flood prevention things. There was no money for that. So the Resiliency Budget has an office with staff with people, which is great, right? We didn't used to have that. We had to demand that two years ago, and the county commission did put that in place. Uh, I remember being there asking them to be sure to fund an Office of Resiliency. But they really haven't given that department any resources to protect us. Let's remember the cities are doing it. I was part of the team that that really advocated to pass the Miami Forever Bond with $200 million in sea level prevention. Which passed, uh, passed last November. Yes, and I'm, I'm very pleased. With a very solid majority. Solid majority. We spoke up that we wanted affordable housing. We wanted sea level rise protection. And um, we wanted... Um, to support our parks. And so we need that at the county level as well. We just don't, don't forget almost an, over a million people in the county get all of their services from the county. They're not in an incorporated city. Okay. So that's, that's an important point to make for our listeners. Yes. Which is that a million out of two and a half million yeah, people, million 40%, two, I think is the actual number. Well, uh, 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 at least 40% yes. of county residents get all of their government municipal services from Miami-Dade County. Right. I mean, that's Every, that's a very substantial it's number. A, it's a very important thing. And so when we see cities advancing on climate or advancing on zoning or, quite frankly, expanding their trolley system, we cannot forget about the rest of the county residents that need those services as well. So trolleys and unincorporated Dade, those circulators that deal with that last mile getting home from maybe where the metro rail, where the bus drops you off on the busway, how do you have a circulator? They don't have those yet. We we need to look at that and, and make sure that everybody in the county gets services because we are their city for, for some of them. District 5 is mostly incorporated, but, you know, there's 13 people on the commission. We vote we vote for the county. Of That's course right. I'm going to care about my district, but I'm certainly well, district, not going to care about other, the rest of the county. I'm yeah. going to care about everybody. District 5, is it, it includes my, parts of Miami Beach and Miami. Yes, of course. Right? Yeah, those are the two cities, yeah. So uh, District 5 has a special election coming up on May 22nd. We're speaking with Eileen Higgins. She's one of the candidates for county commission for a snap election on May 22nd. If you live in District 5, which covers downtown Miami, uh, Brickell, Little Havana, Spring Hill, Miami Beach. Where else? Where did I live? Uh, Shenandoah, Silver Bluff, Spring Garden, um, and the roads, parts of the roads. Then check out your polling places. Uh, if you need an absentee ballot, is it too late? No, you've got probably another day or two, but early voting. The county does a great job with that. We have early voting from the 12th through the 20th, so you can start this Saturday. In other words, you can start early voting right now. Pretty much. Right we, now. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, Eileen, I wanted to ask you about transit because the first yes. thing you said was, let's talk about transit later. But everybody wants to know about transit, especially yes. in the urban corridor where your voters live. Yes. So are you in favor of the smart plan that Mayor Jimenez decided to dump? Well, first of all, I'm not convinced the smart plan is completely dumped. Um, we still have the, the studies going on. And those studies are going to be coming in, and they should have been done in April. They're not done well, is it? and, but and, it'll and, be it'll be ready in December. And let me just say that the city of Miami mayor, the new mayor, Francis Suarez, is not only a strong proponent of the smart yes. plan, but he is the one who personally revived it and came on this program to tell us all about it, not once, but actually twice. Uh, and he became the vice chairman of the, of the, the TPO. TPO, yes. Yep. So we and have a we have a, a new mayor who's a transit advocate, and he understands that if we don't solve these problems, um, we're going to be in a traffic quagmire forever. So um, 
I am for the smart parts of the smart plan. And by the way, the county's done a terrible job at communicating that some things are further along than others. Oh, so, really? Oh, so yeah. what's going on? So for example, um, and part of this is, is thanks to Mayor Suarez, right? We have the Northeast Corridor route, like the, the, the right-of-ways already purchased to 79th Street. So guess what? There is the, the track exists. Um, my understanding, there might even be a couple of tri-rail trains that would be available to be used on that. So you could begin moving in and out of Government Center and going places like Midtown, going up to the Design District, going all the way up to 79th Street, and catch a bus across the corridor, across the causeway to Miami Beach. Um, we've, so, so that actually might be completed before we're dead. So, which is my my goal is we get some transit options before I age out. Really, um, I mean, it's you know, it, I grew so, up in Miami. Yeah, and. I was growing up when they were installing the Metro Rail, and I remember back then that they said it was going to cover the entire city, yeah, and, well. and then it just seemed to all slow down into one line. It's it's one line, and now we have at least a you know some of it going out to Okotobi and, and the Palmetto and, and stop in Doral. So so parts of the smart planner there really what's got to happen is the minute that study gets done what they're trying to do I believe is to decouple each of the routes so that we're able to make a recommendation of what is the right technical solution for every route northeast corridor southern corridor the bay link and then the minute we get those recommendations when the commission quickly decides I would be a quick decider um we can then begin to solicit the federal funds and the state funds, right? The state claims they can't fund without federal funds, and the federal funds can't fund until we get the study completed. Wow. So, um, it's a puzzle. It's it really a, it's is a, a puzzle, puzzle and, and I know we're frustrated. I'm frustrated because I ride public transportation. So bailing, you know, getting across the causeway is, is critical um, for a couple of things. I, a, People are downtown in Miami Beach, those two connectors in, in District 5, traffic is a quagmire. But guess what? Every hotel and restaurant worker on Miami Beach, they don't live on Miami Beach. Not they, anymore. They cannot afford not. it. And so they are literally going from the west and the south. Many of them live in Little Havana. They get to Government Center. They are 100% reliant on the buses that cross the causeway. That's how I get to Miami Beach. I can tell you the buses do not arrive on time. They're supposed to come every 20 minutes. You can sit there for 40 minutes. The buses from 6.30 in the morning till 9.30, are, it's like sardines in there with workers trying to get over there. So transit um, solutions have to work to, for the tourists, but they have to work for the people that are so vulnerable. They don't have an option. If transit leaves me on the side of the road, which it does from time to time, I get in an Uber. But I have those $15 to spend. Many, thousands of our residents, residents of District 5, don't have that. So reliability of what we've got has to improve um, as while we're waiting um, for the studies to be completed on the SMART plan. Well, also, you know, having heavy rail or light rail or dedicated right-of-way yeah, of rail, it, it alleviates traffic in a way that makes those buses work better and makes agreed. them more... Agreed. Usable. Like it used to be you could get on a bus and a bus could get you somewhere. Well, now a bus and, and then the trolleys, which are fantastic. Now you get they're on the stuck, bus in traffic, stuck in traffic, right? Yeah. Um, I was today just coming over here. This Blue Lagoon's not the easiest place to get to on public transit. So I drove, right? I'm probably eight out of 10 trips on transit. You know that. Um, but I was behind a trolley. And I can tell you to get from Biscayne Boulevard just for him to get, um, or her, I don't know who the driver was, <laughs> across um, the Brickell Avenue Bridge, um, that was about a 15-minute, two-block ride. So the trolleys are stuck, the buses are stuck, and um, we we are stuck. So, um, And part of it is uncontrolled road construction, right? That is FDOT, that FDOT project. Today, um, they have shut down the corridors between our, our financial centers. There's one lane um, between downtown and Brickell and has been for a year. Um, so I didn't see any equipment working today. I saw two gentlemen. Uh, one person had a hammer and the other person had a piece of red string and a tape measure. So these, you know, we are not only is downtown stuck in an dot traffic quagmire with, you know, a terrible construction contract, so is Little Havana. Uh, Flagler Street's been destroyed by FDOT, and we've got to get that fixed. So, Eileen, can you tell our audience where they can find out more about your campaign before we go to break here? Sure. Well, your website, your yes. Twitter handle, where they can reach out and carry on this discussion after yes. the program. Sure. So um, the website is EileenHiggins.com. 
and you can find out where to vote if you'd like that. And Twitter handle is actually at Eyes on My World. It's been my Twitter handle for a long time because I have a blog, which you're also welcome to take a look at, where I talk about things I'm thinking about, things I'm reading about, things I'm learning about. So I've been writing that for um, for some time now. All righty. So you can speak with Eileen Higgins on Twitter at Eyes on My World. Yeah. At if you, Eyes on My World. Yeah, and just do Eileen Higgins. You'll find me. You'll find Eileen. And then the election is coming up on May 22nd. It is a special election for Miami-Dade Commission District 5. And we'll be right back. This is the Only in Miami show. Welcome back. This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern and everything about the show at www.onlymiamiradio.com. News, politics, culture, and more. Check it out at onlymiamiradio.com. And we are back in studio with Eileen Higgins. She is running for Miami-Dade County Commission District 5. There is a special election for that seat coming up on May 22nd. That's right, this May 22nd. Early voting has already begun. It is not too late to get your absentee ballot. If you live in Miami, if you live in Miami Beach, Brickell, downtown Miami, Spring Hill, Shenandoah, uh, all of those neighborhoods, get out and vote right away. Eileen, thank you so much for joining me on the program. Thanks, Grant. Glad to be here. It is my pleasure to have you on the show, and I've wanted to have you on for a while, too, but you have that Monday night gig. I know. I always teach on Monday nights, and your show is always on Monday nights. <laughs> I know. It's, <laughs> it's a popular night. I can't ditch my students. They're, they're, it's, first of all, they're relying on me, and second of all, they're kind of cool because they're all small business owners and entrepreneurs, so that's how I spend my, money, my Monday nights. <laughs> so, so tell our audience a little bit about the class that you teach for these entrepreneurs and, and how you think that experience informs what you're trying to do at the commission because, you know, uh, there are people that are just career politicians out there running for office, but you actually have a lot of business experience. I do. Um, so the the course is called BizHack, and um, Dan Gresh is kind of the founder of the course, and Dan and I have been uh, co-collaborating, I guess, for two and a half years. And um, the, the reasoning behind the class is we just began to realize that there were lots of small businesses out there. Small business owners and entrepreneurs tend to have a good product idea, sometimes a good service idea. But they often lack the ability to connect that idea with customers, right? And customers half the business. And so that was a missing link in, in um, or a missing skill set in all of the county. We couldn't find it anywhere else. And so um, Dan spearheaded the program, and now I'm part of the curriculum development and teaching team. And we, every 12 weeks, take a new batch of entrepreneurs and small business owners, and our goal is to empower them to transform their business by thinking about how they communicate and with whom they communicate with and reach through digital marketing and other tools so that they can take these small businesses and turn them into medium-sized businesses, right? So this is how jobs get created. They can and, grow and also a lot of them yeah. are not-for-profits, right? So how does civil society get their message out so that they can begin to expand their program and, and make a difference, right? You know how societies work with three things. We've got government, the private sector, and um, and civil society. So we have um, tro- some Tropical Audubon Society folks in our in our course now. We've had quite a few. Um, Knight Foundation is, is also part of learning how to do this. So the, the idea is how do you take these small, and, and Knight's kind of big, but how do you take organizations and, and empower them to, to do more 
and to grow. We, we've not done a great job attracting big companies to, to the county. So why not just have our own homegrown jobs? And you've read, oh, you know, as much as I do, every week we're reading about what a great startup scene we have here in Miami, yeah, but sure, we don't yeah. have a great scale-up scene, and we need to. And the county has no structured programs um, designed to empower and accelerate our small businesses into medium-sized businesses, which, by the way, are higher-wage jobs, and we and, need them. So that's something I would want to bring to the commission, and I'm uniquely qualified to, to bring that. There's no one, there aren't others on the commission that have done this, um, and so that's a unique experience that I would bring and I would advocate for figuring out how we're getting homegrown jobs here um, out of the small businesses that already exist. And, and, and you're right. There isn't anybody on the commission that's advocating for that right now. Um, but let's turn our attention to a current issue that's happening in your district, which is the debate over a, a, a proposal to create a Formula One race in downtown Miami. Now, one of the things that happened the last time there was a, an auto race in downtown Miami was that it was the Formula E race. Yes, yes. And they used a piece of county property that is... Parcel B, it's still a parking lot. I was just going to say, it's, it's sometimes known as Dan Paul Park, which is what residents want it to turn into. But it's, they call it Parcel B, and it, like you said, is still a parking lot. Yeah. So what's your position on bringing the Formula One race into downtown and... Dan Paul Park. So it, from what I can tell with the city of Miami commission, which is they're looking very likely to pass this, you know, to bring this here, I can tell you the formula E thing was a disaster. If you lived in the neighborhood, um, first of all, there was no consideration for how pedestrians would cross the street. You literally had to sometimes you just couldn't cross the street buses. They took up so much of the street that for a bus to let a person off next to a barricade, they had to take up both of the other lanes of Biscayne Boulevard. So anyone on public transit got out in the middle of the street and all traffic flow was completely stopped. So I think we can learn from that. We better learn from that because that was absolutely a mess. It was um, a mess. It was a total mess. And, and it was a mess for at least a month and a month afterwards by the time they, they broke the whole thing down. So, so what the city's got to do is take the neighborhood into consideration as they, they begin to, to look at this. They've got to say, how are we going to get pedestrians across the street? How are we going to get buses down Biscayne Boulevard during the construction of this whole mess? Because, right, during the race, of course, no, you know, it's going to be cars going however fast those cars go, 100 miles an hour. Um, so we've got to do that, and we've got to figure out how do we restore whatever they demolish, Right, because oh, it's sure, not just yeah. going to be Parcel B that's going to be demolished. The grandstands and everything else in Bayfront Park and, and that. The other thing the city needs to balance, and the, the Formula One people better figure out, is every lot on Biscayne Boulevard that now is a small business on are ready to be demolished, and the city's already approved plans for these giant new buildings. As you know, when we do giant new buildings in downtown, they always let them take up the street. They never put pedestrian um, scaffolding for us to walk down the street. And so the question becomes, how does the city balance those plans? The other thing is, this is a 10-year plan. We've got the new bridge, right, which at some point in time in those 10 years will begin, will be under construction. So there's literally a chance that if they don't plan properly for this, that you will not be able to move a single human being, whether on a bus, a trolley, on foot, or on a car with all that construction during the Formula One setup and takedown. So... Um, you know, that's our message. I'm on the board of the Downtown Neighbors Alliance. That's our message to city commissioners is um, think, right? This, this could be a real economic benefit for the county done properly, and it can be an absolute disaster if done improperly. And, and so um, they need to think and, and they need to plan. And I'm not convinced 10 years is the right solution. Um, down, you know, Miami will be wildly transformed five years from now. It transforms itself every five years. So Hopefully they'll do a little, you know, I'm not, years. I'm not involved in that decision. Um, I can only, you know, give my little two cents, but, yeah, but they you, need to think. But you know what? You bring up a point that I feel like some legislators and some lawmakers understand and some don't, which is that even though you may not be on a particular board or council, you, your opinion counts. Yeah. And in fact, it counts a lot more when you're elected to a higher body and you can say, Hey, you know, my constituents which may be, you know, like the city of Miami has five commissioners and they all kind of act like mini mayors of yeah, their little yeah, fiefdoms. That's they the do. that is the truth. Yeah. I've never and seen the city of Miami commission uh, 
interoperate in a fashion that's unified. It's just set up that way. I hope it's it's getting better that way. I mean, I was really proud of the bond issue, which was a collab. You know, that's very right. Much a the collaborative, rare collaborative collab- but, it, issue. but you know, it worked and it proves we ca- we can collaborate across our neighborhoods. It, it we can. have to collaborate across our neighborhoods. But but you know, we also have to collaborate across our governments, and I think that's something that is sorely lacking. I mean, you know, we actually have state legislators like. The former state legislator in Coconut Grove, uh, Miguel Diaz de la Portilla, who was lobbying other municipalities while he held his state, uh, you know, yeah, uh, state lawmakers you know, it's, uh, position. It's and, interesting. And, and when you have a, yeah. that t- kind of dynamic, instead of, hey, I'm a neighbor, I live here, you know, it, it really changes the way politics happens in the state. Well, we certainly have a lot of cross-pollination of brothers and sisters as lobbyists, Um and family uh, and members. And family members. And certainly, the eth- I think the ethics rules, if I'm correct, prohibit children and parents, but they certainly don't prohibit brothers and sisters. So we have a lot of... Or, or husbands my, and wives. Hus- so so things can become very uh, commingled. Um, people should, should know that uh, my parents live several hours away, and my brothers and sisters live in Oregon and New Mexico. So um, it's very hard for them to become enriched, and it's very inconvenient for them to become lobbyists because one of them is a small business owner and the other is a college professor. They have no time for that nonsense. So um, that's what I bring to the commission, right? I'm, I'm a smart, thinking, experienced person. I'm an engineer. I've worked for large companies. I empower small companies now. I've served in the Peace Corps, so I bring a lens of poverty alleviation um, to all of my decisions. And um, I can tell you, enriching myself will never be part uh, of the decision process. You may agree with everything I decide. You may disagree every now and then, but you can be assured that um, I will never be making those decisions based on special interests and the interest of my family uh, as I do them. So things are a, a bit more, I don't know, discombobulated or interconnected than they should be in our county and city government. So, Eileen, tell our audience in just a minute why they absolutely 100% need to vote for you on May 22nd in the special election for Miami-Dade Commission District 5. So, for what I tell people is I will be a new voice on the commission. I bring a different set of eyes. I have worked in all parts of the community throughout the county. So, yes, I'm a District 5 resident, but I also have started and intend to continue to solve problems throughout the county. I am. Um, I can assure you, as I just mentioned, that I intend to do that with integrity and with value. And my goal is to bring a little bit of balance into decision-making around the county. We have an economy that works for some of us, but not for all of us. And so we need to begin some balance into that so that all, everybody that lives in the county begins to benefit from the development that, um, that tends to just benefit a few of us. Well, Eileen, thank you so much for joining us on the program tonight. It's really been a pleasure having you on. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate the time and, and of course, your interest in just spreading the word about local elections. Sometimes people aren't even aware um, of what a difference their commissioner can make for them. And Eileen, tell our audience one more time, where can our people take this conversation onto the Internet after the program? So um, my website is EileenHiggins.com. You can connect with me on Facebook there, also on Twitter. Twitter is um, my hand. You can find me at Eileen Higgins, but at Eyes on My World is the handle. Also on the website, you will be able to find, you'll be able to download your um, early voting locations. Early voting starts on the 12th, goes through the 20th. So you, there's 10 days of that. The county's doing a great job at making sure that people have access to early voting locations in the neighborhoods, Government Center, City Hall, Miami Beach, Shenandoah Library, and then the Hispanic Branch Library over in Little Havana. So very convenient to vote Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And then, of course, if you run out of time, then May 22nd on at your polling location. All righty. So you can find out more about where to vote, which is going on right now. Early voting is happening right now in the Miami-Dade County District 5 Commission race. And check out EileenHiggins.com. That's www.EileenHiggins.com to find your polling place. And we'll be right back. This is the Only in Miami show.
Welcome back. This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern and everything about the show at www.onlyinmiamiradio.com. News, politics, culture, and more. Check it out at onlyinmiamiradio.com. And we are back live with Kevin Donahoe. He is the Florida governor's uh, race uh, communications director for the Florida Democrats. Kevin, thank you so much for joining me on the program tonight. Hey, Grant. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. My pleasure. So, Kevin, uh, tell our audience a little bit about your role with the Florida Dems, and let's discuss what's going on in the governor's race in the Republican primary, huh? Yeah, so my role, um, I kind of have the terrible job of watching the two Republicans running for governor and um, really holding them accountable through the primary. Um, You know, there are competitive primaries on both sides this year. And um, my role is just kind of making sure we are holding Adam Putnam and Ron DeSantis accountable and setting up our Democratic nominee um, to win in November. So uh, there's there's three people running in the Democratic side that are uh, the top three. And there's there's actually there's four candidates, four very solid candidates. But our audience probably doesn't know about uh, Mr. DeSantis or Mr. Putnam at all. Where where do we begin? Do we begin with the NRA sellout, uh, Mr. Putnam, or do we begin with Trump's lawyer in uh, Congress, uh, Ron DeSantis? You know, it's a tough choice. Uh, <laughs> I'll let you choose. Let's, let's it's like Ron pick your DeSantis. poison. You okay. know, I think I think what is really interesting about Ron DeSantis is he's he's running a campaign basically like we've never seen in Florida or I think in this country. His strategy is to go on Fox News every morning, every night, and defend the president. Um, he he's basically playing the role. Uh, he went to Harvard Law, and he's now kind of playing on TV the role of Trump's defense lawyer. So he's attacking the special counsel every single day. He's responding to the latest allegations coming out about the president. Um, you know, every once in a while, he'll join with other House Republicans and maybe call to defund the special counsel investigation, or he'll say we should prosecute Hillary Clinton and Obama administration officials. Um so here's a guy who's running for governor and isn't talking about Florida, is not talking about Florida issues. Um, so you're saying but, Ronda DeSantis's platform for Florida governor is Trump's good and Mueller is bad? I would say it's Trump's innocent and Mueller is bad. <laughs> um, that's that's a really and, wild Florida governor platform. That's that is unprecedented. I've never heard of anything it, like that. What I, what is I think even crazier is that in this Republican primary with this Trumpian base, it seems to be working. And he's um, he's through partly through all these Fox News appearances. He's earned the endorsement through a tweet of Donald Trump. And now he's basically neck and neck with Adam Putnam, who is a guy who's been running for governor basically his entire life. So it's (laughs) it's. It's the green room, Fox News green room strategy. And in this climate, with this base, um, it's working. And, well, and now hold on a second. Obviously, there's there's only two choices left for the Republicans. Uh, right. You know, there's there's not a lot of choices. It's basically DeSantis or Putnam. Um, but and this is this is a big but. Is there any impact from the resign to run law on Ron DeSantis? Did he have to resign his seat or can he keep his House seat and secure the nomination to run for governor? That's that's my question. He he does not need to resign to run. Um, and he he is he's actually like retiring. So no matter what, he will not be in Congress uh, for the next session. Okay. So he's already announced that he's leaving his seat because of the run, I guess. Yeah, I would say so. But I mean, he is a member of Congress being paid by taxpayers right now. Um, And, you know, he's someone who, you know, for, for someone on the taxpayer dime spends a lot of time on Fox news. Well, I got to tell our audience, and, and you can find out more at thesternfacts.com. I wrote a story about DeSantis, and what I found out about him is that Ron DeSantis collected four times as much 
uh, political money in the last election cycle as he had in the previous cycles, except that he, he re- didn't really have a, an opponent like of, of any stature. I mean, he collected $4 million. I think his opponent collected like 100000 So yeah, it's like, I, what do you need all that money for? <laughs> I mean, I think that he has become the darling of national Trump-aligned donors, um, you know, sort of the Rebecca Mercer's of the world he's their guy and i think the more he goes on fox the more he aligns himself with the president um you know they're he's getting he's getting a lot of financial support out of that and that's kind of the lane he's running in okay so let's talk about adam putnam he's the other republican candidate for florida governor uh adam putnam is a proud nra sellout and as you noted, he's been running for governor his entire life. He's a career politician. Um, what, what can you tell us about Autumn Putnam that, that our audience hasn't heard about before? Yeah, he, um, you know, he is, he has been a politician all his life. He was in Congress in the 2000s, rose very high in the House leadership, was kind of a Republican attack dog, very much a partisan warrior. And le- le- um, that's in the state house, right? No. So he was actually in D.C. Oh, okay. for five terms. Um, oh, wow. I didn't realize that. Yeah. So he started off in Tallahassee. Then he moved gotcha. um, to Washington, where he spent a lot of time something he doesn't really want to talk about, but he thrived in D.C. as sort of this Bush-era kind of ultimate insider. Um, And he took a lot of votes there that are now coming back to haunt him. You know, today he he unveiled the new vocational education policy. Well, when he was in Congress, he voted – year after year against funding for vocational education. So he has this long record um, as this sort of conservative Republican partisan warrior that is really hurting him now. He then came back to Tallahassee um, and has been the agriculture commissioner where um, he hasn't really accomplished much except, you know, um, basically launch a pre-campaign for governor, and now he's officially running. Um, but he's an NRA sellout. You know, he's someone, he was the first one to, no, no, to no. come out. He, isn't he a proud NRA sellout, if I recall correctly? Proud, and I think there's a there's a hashtag involved, too. It was a whole Twitter thing he did. Um, so, so to give your listeners an understanding, last year um, – He's someone who who is trying to really is struggling with voters in 2018. There's kind of an anti-establishment mood. Um, so he he has always voted with the NRA, and he was trying to highlight that record. He started tweeting. He did a petition, basically an entire digital campaign, where he proclaimed, "I'm an NR proud NRA sellout." Um, you know, it, after Parkland, it. He it came back to haunt him, and he actually got a question from Politico in Tallahassee. Do you still consider yourself a proud NRA sellout? And he found like like basically a, a secret door in the room and and ran away from the reporter. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's that's a political skill right there. <laughs> it's a pol- I mean, he he is he's been in the game a long time. He knows all the tricks. Um, he, he came out against the bill that the legislature passed on guns and said it went way too far. So did DeSantis. But, I mean, he's taken the most extreme, the most anti-gun control um, position since Parkland. Um, and, you know, there's other issues where he, he really, you know, he said, I would sign a heartbeat bill. Um, that would effectively ban abortion in Florida if he became governor. He was the first one to come out and say it. Um, so, so he kind of on issue after issue has taken the hard, the hard right, the far right position. But at the end of the day, he's a career politician. He has a long record of sort of shady land deals in Tallahassee. His family made billions off of selling their um, land to the state government. Um, so he he kind of is the worst of Washington and the worst of Tallahassee. He's this extreme Republican with a history of sort of self-serving politics um, 
who's who's really struggling now in 2018. You know, he's been working his whole life to be governor, and um, and, and now it's not really clear if he's exactly catching on. Yeah, I mean, I've never heard of big crowds showing up for Adam Putnam. I don't think anybody's heard of Adam Putnam, except maybe, uh, you know, the people that are getting rich with him off of his uh, government positions. Um, although, I mean, I, you know, I mean, I've heard of Adam Putnam, of course, because, uh, you know, he tried to slip a gun control relaxation bill through the, the Florida House uh, the day after the Parkland shooting, and, and that that bill died after a massive outcry. Yes, it was actually a bill that it was an agriculture bill. It had to do with oysters. And on page 99, he um, he slipped in language that would have really weakened um, the concealed carry system in the state, which he regulates and is in charge of and has actually broken down a bunch on his watch. Um so, so you know, he, he had sort of this record of extreme politics, but also incompetence and also um, these kind of self-serving shady deals. Um, and, and it's a real burden for him. Well, Kevin, I appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to come onto the program. Where can our listening audience take this conversation onto the Internet after the show, the website or Twitter account? I would check out the uh, FloridaDems.org. Check out our website. Um, That's FloridaDems.org. FloridaDems.org. www.FloridaDems.org. And is there a Twitter handle? Yes, there is. But, you know, I do not know it. What's your Twitter handle so they can chat with you? Kevin S.I. Donahoe. D-O-N-O-H-O-E. Well, Kevin, Um, thank you so much for joining me on the program tonight. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. Bye. And that's all the time we have for tonight's show. I'd like to thank Eileen Higgins for coming onto the program with me tonight. It was my distinct pleasure. If you live in Miami-Dade County's 5th Commission District, there's a special election happening right now. Early voting is open. Get out there and vote. And we'll be back next Monday night. This is the Only in Miami show.